Live from the Merck Park, USA, I'm Tavis Smiling. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, everything at KBLA 1580. Let me also invite you right now to download our app at KBLA 1580. Download the app and listen to us live anywhere in the world. And once again, if you've not been tuning in every morning uh, to First Things First with Dominic DePrima, you are missing some pretty amazing programming from the motherland, South Africa to be specific. And I uh, 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 underscore and remind you that uh, there are folk in South Africa right now listening to us live on the app. So anywhere you are in the world, you can listen live in real time, but only if you download the app right now. At KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of this program by going to the app uh, and uh, uh, the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast and listen at your leisure. Should you miss us any day in real time? But I'm delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. And let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour. I think it's true that the more you understand someone's history, the better you can see their humanity. I've said many times that we will never, this is my own point of view, we will never come into the fullness of our own humanity if we cannot respect and revel in the humanity of the other. So it seems to me then that the more you understand someone else's history, uh, the better you can see their humanity. We'll have a conversation uh, in hour two with Dr. Terrence Lester about how confronting buried history can help to build racial solidarity. That's hour two. In our third hour, two conversations. Up first, the son of soul singer Aaron Neville, Grammy Award winner Ivan Neville, uh, will join us for a conversation about his latest project. And on the B side of our three, actor Javon Johnson joins us live in studio. But let's commence today's show talking politics with our national political affairs analyst and the host of the Sunday Public Affairs Show, A More Perfect Union, heard Sundays on the Tens, Dr. Nikortelai Corte. Nikortelai, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. It's nice to be home here at KBLA. You look well. You don't sound so well. <laughs> that, that voice, is is it just a morning thing? It's just a morning thing, okay. and it's a Juneteenth thing. Oh, I got it. You still, yeah, yeah. I saw you out there at the celebration. We had a good time, didn't we? Yeah, I saw you out there getting your groove on, having a good time. No, it was it was a great time, and I, I've said many times uh, over the last couple of days how grateful I am. It, it, it almost doesn't seem like two years went by that fast. Um, but here we are in year three, and we're rolling, man. Two years feels like two decades. Yeah. <laughs> As he said in the black church, amen right. to that. I mean, covering Trump alone. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. one decade. <laughs> it, 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 we'll get to that in this hour, I'm certain. Uh, but before I do that, uh, this is the, the, the news that everybody in the political world is talking about. Uh, the censure uh, last night uh, of Adam Schiff. Uh, I put a call into the congressman this morning uh, and told him to give me a call as soon as he can. And he always returns our phone calls. Uh, and so we'll get him on to talk about this. If not today, certainly uh, tomorrow's Thursday, tomorrow's Friday, the best of Tavis Smiley tomorrow. So if, I don't, if we don't hear from Adam Schiff today, we'll get him on Monday, hopefully, um, to get his take on this, uh, which I can pretty much assume is disappointment and, and, and anger and angst and all of that. He has served uh, honorably in the House uh, for so many years, representing uh, Los Angeles, uh, now running, of course, for the United States Senate. But he was censured last night 
in what was clearly and purely a partisan act, um, your take on what happened to Adam Schiff last night? Well, I think it's important to remind our listeners that uh, it, it, he is one of 25 people in the history of the United States Congress that have ever been censured. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this censured, you know, it's a low point. It's a low point for this Congress. It is a hallmark of uh, the Republicans that are in control of Congress. Uh, it makes clear that retribution is not beneath them. Mm-hmm. Um, and retribution for what? You know, Adam Schiff, uh, as the chair of the House Intel Committee, uh, was played a principal role uh, in uh really managing the impeachment of Donald Trump, allowing the facts uh, to take us where they did. Uh, and Republicans are mad about that and they want to make an example out of him. Uh, but, you know, shout out to Congressman Schiff, you know, for delivering, you know, a stinging rebuke. Mm-hmm. You know, he did not bend. He did not bow. Uh, everybody should really check out, you know, his floor speech, you know, following that censure. Uh, and, you know, listening to that speech, you know, you, you it leaves you with an understanding that this is somebody who is running for the United States Senate that has a point of view, that has experience um, and that will not shake or shrill uh, when confronted by the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy mm-hmm. of the Republicans in control of the Congress. I'm talking about Speaker McCarthy uh, and uh, the leadership in the House. And so, you know, th- you know, this is just uh uh, an opportunity for them to raise money. You can expect Republicans are going to send out lots of solicitations to their base saying, you know, we did what we said we were going to do, mm-hmm. which, by the way, has nothing to do with what the American people need right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of Republicans are running across the country saying that, you know, we're running to to fight against the runaway inflation, even though the facts say that inflation is actually coming down. You know, we're we're running against, you know, you know, Joe Biden and the Democrats, you know, that are that are trying to, you know, deliver giveaways to their base in the form of student debt uh, relief, student debt cancellation. Right. They're not doing anything about the issues that everyday Americans, both Democrat and Republican, care so deeply about. They are invested in hyperpartisan politics. And this is just the latest example. There were a number of things to your point. Um, it was a brilliant speech. What uh, Adam Schiff had to say last night, if you have not seen it, uh, was brilliant. Uh, it was uh uh, I think his high moment. It was a low moment for the Congress, a high moment for Adam Schiff in terms of the way he just uh, uh, laid into them and delivered, uh, I thought, a stinging rebuke uh, of this process and what uh, what they were doing uh, last night. One of my favorite lines uh, from him was, you honor me with your enmity. You honor me with your enmity. Uh, great line. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he he got his point across last night, and yet this stands. When we come forward, there's a lot to talk about, though, uh, at least a bit more to talk about regarding this, because I'm curious now as to any quarter-life critique. He is, of course, our chief national political affairs, political affairs analyst, easy for me to say. Um, but I'm, I'm curious as to how you read the politics on this. Um, as we mentioned, he's running for the U.S. Senate for the seat that Dianne Feinstein, I still think, needs to relinquish. We'll talk about that but is holding on to, but has uh, said she will not, of course, run for re-election. That's pretty obvious. Uh, so it's Adam Schiff, it's Katie Porter, and it is, um, oh, I'm blanking. Oh, and Barbara Lee. Barbara Thank Lee. you. Jesus, yeah. help me, Lord. Yeah. The sister, Barbara Lee. I couldn't get her name out of my mouth fast enough. Um, so the three of them are running. I, it, it seems to me that, back to that line, you honor me with your enmity. This could help Adam Schiff. The last poll I saw, Katie Porter was slightly ahead. 
Um, Adam Schiff's killing both of them in fundraising, but Katie Porter was polling slightly ahead of him. This is the kind of stuff, though, that you, that puts you front and center. She's on the front page of every newspaper today. Everybody's talking about it. And I would think this, in some ways, buoys his campaign. And speaking of fundraising, that the Republicans are doing, it might help his fundraising as well. And he's already out front, as I said. A lot to talk about with Adam Schiff and this House censure that he uh, was uh, uh, the victim of or subject to last night. And a great deal more politics to talk about in this hour. Who better uh, than the host of A More Perfect Union? Heard Sundays on the 10s here on KBLA Talk 1580. Dr. Nee Quartelai Corte. June continues and we continue with uh, an artist in residence every day playing the best of this iconic artist all three hours of our program and today it is the queen of soul Aretha Franklin. In three hours we couldn't do justice to a scintilla of the hits from the queen and that says nothing about the b-sides. Uh, I've said many times I've been in many barroom brawls uh Metaphorically speaking, I'm not a drinker, but I've been many barroom brawls about the greatest voice of all time uh, and the top three, top five albums of all time. For my money, there is no female voice in the history of music that is better than Aretha Franklin. At the top of her game, you can't fade her. With all due respect to every other female singer who's ever sung a note, for my money, the queen is the greatest of all time. Her range... That that black infused gospel soul sound that she infused her music with. She could sing jazz. She could sing pop. Remember the night she filled in for Pavarotti at the Grammys on the spot and killed it. I mean, nobody with any range like, like Aretha Franklin uh, and her style is uh, makes her the greatest of all time. In terms of albums, I could debate you on the top five albums of all time. But certainly in that top five is Amazing Grace. Her album recorded live here in Southern California in L.A. So uh, we celebrate the Queen today as June is Black Music Month. Uh, a different artist every day. And today it's Aretha Franklin. And we're going to play some of the best of her stuff all three hours of our program. We continue our conversation now with Dr. Nee Quartelai-Corte, uh, our national, our chief national political affairs, political, I can't say that word political today. And we're talking about politics. Chief national political affairs analyst and the host of A More Perfect Union. Heard Sundays on the tens. If you've not heard this program on Sundays, you are missing out. Always great conversations with the newsmakers every week here on uh, KBLA Talk 1580. We are honored to have him as our colleague. Uh, we were talking a moment ago. Let me get back uh, need to uh, this conversation about Adam Schiff because, as I mentioned a moment ago, he's running for U.S. Senate mm -hmm. here in the state of California. Um, first of all, let me just back up. What what have you been saying on your program on Sundays about the Dianne Feinstein situation? <laughs> this is a setup question. No, no, it's, no, no it's not. I'm just asking. I, I mean, you, you heard my point of view. I'm just asking what you've been saying about it, what your or what your guests have been saying. About as it. as somebody that grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, that mm -hmm. is steeped in the storied uh, history of Dianne Feinstein as a leader, mm -hmm. as a dynamic a woman leader in particular, it 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 gives me some sadness. To see her at this stage in her life of public service, her career, um, you know, not at the top of her game. Uh, and I'm not, you know, speaking out of school on this. You know, I say this as a matter of observation. I say this as a matter of what's been reported. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so, you know, I understand she's not running for reelection, but there are so many important issues that are before the United States Senate. Um, and why not, you know, pass the torch and give somebody a running head start uh, to bring some fresh ideas, fresh perspective to the Senate 
representing one of the most populous states in the union, uh, where we certainly have our share of issues uh, that need to be resolved uh, uh, before the Senate. And so uh, that is that is my you know personal point of view. Uh, I have guests uh, that share a similar uh, point of view. Uh, and more importantly, folks uh, off the record, mm-hmm. um, you know, who are watching the clock, you know, and, and saying, you know, when is she going to pass the torch? And it feels like this election for uh, U.S. Senate here in California uh, has been made harder than it needs to be, um, you know, because of an inability to let go and pass the torch. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very nicely done. <laughs> I just said she needs to go. With all due respect, <laughs> the time has come, uh, and it, 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 it's. <clears throat> I could have a conversation for an hour just about this, uh, and not just about Diane Feinstein. Because let's be clear, um, she's a woman, and there are men who've done this many more times than women have done mm-hmm. it because they've had more opportunity to do it, mm-hmm. stick around longer than they should have. But there's something uh, in the human psyche, uh, certainly for some of us, who just don't know when to exit stage left. They just we, we just we, we, we have not learned uh, all of us how to exit gracefully. Mm-hmm. And I have so much respect for those who just know how to exit gracefully. I had many conversations with Sidney Poitier um, about this. Uh, many in this audience know it. I've talked about it before. Certainly when he passed away that every other Tuesday for almost 27 years, he and I had lunch together. Actually, four of us. Lucky you. Yeah, lucky me. Very lucky me. Uh, but so almost 27 years, every other Tuesday we had lunch together. Same table. Same restaurant, Four Seasons, Beverly Hills. Um, just a great time. And I learned so much so much from him over that almost 30-year friendship. Um, but one of the things that he always talked about and I learned so much from him about was how to exit the stage gracefully. And even into his 80s and, and, and 90s, people were still offering him roles. They wanted him to do cameos. And he said, I'm, I'm done with that. I just don't, I just don't act anymore. And it was very clear from him in those conversations that acting was what he did. It was not who he was. And so many people in this town don't get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that. That acting ought to be what you do, not synonymous with who you are. Because when you're no longer acting, or when the phone stops ringing, then you feel depressed and despondent because you don't think there's any meaning or value or purpose to your life because your phone ain't ringing. Mm-hmm. Well, for all of us, that, that day comes. And there's some people in any in all fields, I think, of human endeavor who just stay too long. I, I'm still mad at Ruth Bader Ginsburg. God rest her soul. Still mad at her for just not stepping. Obama tried his best. Mm-hmm. And, we're pay, and, we're, and we're still paying a heavy price for that, especially yeah. as we are waiting uh, for the uh, affirmative action case to be decided before the Supreme Court. Uh, the case is related to student debt. Uh, and uh, uh, and and so much more that is so important to us. You know, let me just say this. You know, another example of a dynamic woman leader in the Congress from San Francisco, Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. Look at how she passed the torch to Hakeem Jeffries, mm-hmm. and look at how. She has showed up as a speaker emeritus. She's not pulling focus from Hakeem. She's not subverting him or working around him, you know, and and look at how that leadership team sort of transitioned. Um, You know, it took some time and some effort and Mm -hmm. and uh, there was a lot of pushing and poking and prodding, but it happened. And we're starting to see a changing of the guard. We're starting to see the next generation of leadership assuming positions of power, influence, and authority. And so, you know, uh, I wish that uh, the U.S. Senate seat here in California currently uh, in the hands of Senator Feinstein, I wish 
that that seat was a part of this story of a changing of the guard. Um, you know, who knows, uh, you know, how folks conscience works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there may be a, a big surprise, uh, you know, before that election. Uh, who knows? Uh, but uh, uh, it's it's definitely uh, it definitely pulls focus from a lot of other things that we should be more focused on mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a a race for U.S. Senate in California that seems to be made harder than it needs to be. I know I know a lot of folk in Washington. Of course, I spent a number of years there uh, early in my career. Uh, but you're much more these days a Washington insider than I am, which is why you are our chief national political affairs analyst. Um, I've read a number of pieces uh, about the Dianne Feinstein matter that suggest that she's holding on, she's hanging in there, uh, primarily because of her staff. It's her staff that's orchestrating this. Those jobs are very coveted on the Hill. She has seniority. She has longevity. uh, And if she were, in fact, to resign, all those folk lose their jobs. Um, now some of them would stick around because whoever they, you know, you, you, one would assume that Gavin Newsom would appoint a caretaker. I think it'd be very improper for him to appoint any of the three who are running to the seat right now. It gives them an unfair advantage come election. So you assume that he put somebody in there as a caretaker. Maybe they hold onto their jobs for a little while, but there are a lot of jobs at stake, uh, if Diane Feinstein steps aside. And so there are people on her staff who are wheeling her around and pushing her around and telling her to read this and read that and whispering in her ear, telling her what to say. There's something in this for them as well, as long as she has that job. Well, but, you know, I, I know a number of uh, of uh, former staffers uh, of Senator Feinstein, former staffers of Senator Boxer and mm-hmm. former staffers to at least California you know, Senate members mm-hmm. do pretty well. Right. Yep. And so and so I think there's plenty to do. And I think. Uh, those those uh, staffers would be um, well received across sectors mm-hmm. should they become available. And so, yeah, there's there's some concerns that, you know, the staff may be orchestrating this. There are also some concerns that her family and, and some of her most devoted supporters over the year years um, may not be saying the quiet part out loud. Uh, there are also rumors that uh, Senator Feinstein herself might be a bit stubborn. No surprises mm-hmm. uh, there. Sure, and sure. so, you know, all of this to say that there are some critical issues before the U.S. Senate. And, you know, we, we can't allow these seats. We can't treat these seats like the individuals that occupy them own them. Correct. You know, we are all stewards especially anybody in public service, you know, and I think about even what we do as a public service, Mm -hmm. right? We don't own these seats. We're stewards of these seats, right? And there's some serious issues here, and I think we should be giving our successors as much of an advantage as possible to be steeped in the important issues before us um, so that they also can lead. Well, I can assure you, I will not be behind this mic when I'm 90. (laughs) Let let me assure you, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to cut my three-hour shift uh, down right now. Michael Jackson, the late, great talk show host, not the singer, not the dancer. Michael Jackson of KBC fame, uh, the best talk show host I've ever heard in my career. Uh Uh, Michael used to always tell me, Tavis, uh, with with his accent, uh, Tavis, uh, two hours is a show. Three hours, my friend, is a shift. <laughs> <laughs> and so, 
this ain't a show I do every day. It's a shift, and I feel it when I walk out of here some days, <laughs> three hours, and then you spend the rest of the day trying to help this uh, this company build and grow. It's 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 a it's a it's it's a love thing, no question yeah. about it. It's a it's a it's a love thing, but it's it, it's it's challenging. Let me buttonhole this Adam Shift thing in the two minutes we have left, and then we'll continue with other stuff on the uh, other side of news, uh, traffic, and sports. Uh, right quick, uh, in in two minutes, Adam Schiff. I think he is advantaged by this drama. Uh, drama being, of course, the censure last night in this race for the U.S. Senate. I think it leads to more exposure. I think it leads to more money. I think it leads to maybe improved polling. Uh, and certainly he has, you know, again, he wears it with, as, as a badge of honor. Your thoughts? Agreed. Agreed. I mean, you know, th- this is probably one of the best things that could have happened to uh, Representative Schiff. Uh, you know, look, you know, he has been a pariah uh, for folks on the right. Mm-hmm. You know, they have... You know, even Donald Trump himself, you know, has, hasn't missed an opportunity to take a shot they at call, Adam they, Schiff. They call him Shifty Schiff. Right. That's their nickname for him, Shifty Schiff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think this is a time where we want to see more Democrats standing up to folks on the right, um, you know, standing firm uh, uh, on some of the most important issues. I mean, defense of our democracy is a bedrock yeah. issue, and I bet he's going to run on that. He's going to raise a lot of money off of that, you know, and he is going to be a formidable candidate in this race for U.S. Senate here in California. He already is. It was ugly, though. There was screaming. There was yelling. There was cussing last night. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was it, it made the House of Commons <laughs> look tame last mm-hmm. night. It was a low moment. Uh, if you watched it, just a low moment, the behavior, the misbehavior, acting like miscreants and children it, it was it was sad to watch it almost sounds like the race for speaker yeah it's, remember that's what, that that's what it was exactly it was it was that plus i think it just just a just an ugly moment for american democracy last night but i digress uh much more to talk about politically when we come forward after news traffic and sports with our own knee quarter like quarte on kbla talk 1580 uh, on my list of the greatest albums of all time and you can debate the order but amazing grace songs in the key of life stevie and Marvin, what's going on? You got any albums better than those three? Holler at me. <laughs> I don't know what you what you listening to. I, there's nothing greater than songs in the key of life. What's going on? And Amazing Grace. And if you haven't seen the documentary Amazing Grace about the night Aretha recorded this live, not too far from the studio, as New Quarter I was just saying, it's quite a documentary just to watch her. And my favorite part is to. The camera pans to the back of the church, and there's some little white guy who's just getting the Holy Ghost. He's just having church, and that guy happens to be Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones, who was in the audience that night. Uh, it was quite—I <laughs> would have loved to have been in the, in the church that night when they recorded this album. Uh, but uh, it's June, Black Music Month, and so we're playing the best of uh, any number of iconic artists throughout the month. And today, all three hours of our program, some of the best of Aretha Franklin. We continue our conversation now, though, talking politics. With uh, in, uh, Aretha was pretty politically astute mm-hmm. and appeared uh, at a couple of inaugurations and performed. So she, uh, uh, when she and I would talk all the time, uh, she was very much into politics and uh, watched uh, C, watched uh, C-SPAN and watched CNN almost all day long. Kept it on wherever she was in her house, uh, in her dressing room, on the bus. So she was quite astute at politics. Of course, you all know, as a, as a young child, uh, Dr. King, whenever he came to Detroit, stayed at their family home. Her father, Reverend C.L. Franklin, and Dr. King were very dear friends. And so Aretha would oftentimes cook for Dr. King and change his bed. And um, she considered Dr. King an uncle, essentially, and raised a lot of money for Dr. King and the movement. 
I mean, she started making hits. She would use uh, performances to raise money for the movement. So she was very, very much involved in the political affairs of our community. And we uh, we love and miss uh, the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. Uh, Nick Cordelai Corte is our guest in this hour as we continue to talk politics. And um, so there was a big announcement made by another African-American this morning on one of the national shows. I'll let uh, Nick Cordelai unpack this. But by my count, Nick Cordelai, there are now one, two, three, four, at least four, unless I'm missing somebody. There are four African-Americans running for president at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Scott, Republican. Cornell West, who was on this program uh, as his first big interview after his announcement, running for president on the Green Party ticket. Uh, Larry Elder, former talk show host, running for the Republican nomination and an announcement this morning. Yes, Will Hurd. Will Hurd, a former Texas congressman who was a part of the diminishing block of Republican moderates, uh, it has announced this morning that he's running for president. And this is someone who has not minced words. He has uh, referred to Donald Trump as lawless, as selfish, as a failed politician. And so not only are we seeing a record number of African-American men running for president, uh, but we're also seeing the rhetoric against Trump sort of ratcheting up. Mm-hmm. And so not only from, you know, candidates like Will Hurd, but former uh, Maryland governor Larry Hogan uh, has been on a media blitz where he has not minced words about how much the Republican Party needs to turn the page on Trump. And so you're starting to see candidates, you know, really lean in and have a more forward looking, more aggressive, forward looking message. Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas, no different Mm -hmm. uh, in that regard. But this is a moment. And Tavis, I think it's important uh, to remind people, you know, that, you know, this may be a part of the legacy of Barack Obama having run for president Mm -hmm. successfully, having been a two time president. Uh, You know, the fact that now he has opened up the the opportunity for folks on all sides of the aisle. Right. Um, And no parts of the aisle to run for president. So, you know, this is going to be a very animated 2024 election cycle. This is assuming that they stay in the race through most of, if not all of the Republican primary. Um, It's going to be interesting with regard to Dr. Cornell West to to see, does he meet the threshold in certain early states to make it onto the ballot? Does he meet the threshold to be on the debate stage? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of folks say, well, so-and-so doesn't seem like they got a a chance of winning. Um, You know, it depends on how you define winning. That's right. You know, and obviously winning ultimately means getting the nomination and being elected president of the United States. Uh, But short of that, winning means socializing your agenda, socializing your point of view, your policy prescriptions on issues that are important to everyday Americans. And so, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Cornell West did not mince words in terms of the issues uh, that are important to him that he looks to to inject into this debate uh, as to who will lead us from the Oval Office for the next uh, four years. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how Will Hurd performs, because this is somebody who has a reputation for having reached across the aisle. In 2017, he famously took a road trip from Texas to D.C. with Beto O'Rourke. Mm-hmm. You know, like in what universe today do we see that sort of demonstration of collegiality among members of Congress? And so um, uh, this is the latest mm-hmm. Republican to watch in the run for president. Um 
you, you said something a moment ago that, that got my attention, and uh, I was laughing that, about that old adage that great minds think alike. So I was thinking the exact same thing you were thinking it as you were saying it. Um, and, and that is uh, this connection to Barack Obama. Uh, I've said many times, for all, the, for all the, the hell that I caught, all the critique that I got for my commentary about Barack Obama back in the day, I remind people I voted for him twice. And I voted for him twice because my hope was uh, I wasn't stuck on stupid, but I was hoping that his election would open progressive possibilities for other people. I wanted, I, I, I hoped his election would open the door to progressive possibilities for other people. That didn't quite happen. Uh, Barack Obama, to be clear, did not have coattails. There are, there is no evidence anywhere of black coattails for Barack Obama. Jesse Jackson, very different conversation. When Jesse ran in 84 and 88, well, look at the numbers. There were all kind of black black folk across the country who got elected to the all kind of offices because Jesse Jackson had coattails. Barack Obama is historic, but there is no political evidence anywhere that Barack Obama had progressive coattails. But I think you are right about this. What he did do was open the door for black people in the Republican Party, Cornell West as an independent. And I celebrate this. To your point, I love, the way, I love the way you put it, on either side of the aisle or on no side of the aisle. I love the way you phrased that because you got independents running now, black people, Cornell. You got Republicans running, Will Hurd and, 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 and Tim Scott uh, and, and Larry Elder. Uh, you got, uh, you know, we've had Democrats run, of course. Uh, Cory Booker ran and I mean, a lot of them, you know, Al Sharpton and all the way back to Nancy, all the way back to Shirley Chisholm for that matter. Mm-hmm. So, but but I, I like this. I like this frame. And what I'm getting to is I, I like this notion, this idea that we are normalizing black folk running for president. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal. It's a very, that it's normalized. It's a very big deal. And it's also a reminder, you know, black folks are not a monolith. We certainly say that and we celebrate that here on KBLA Talk 1580. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it is true. It is true you know, that there are lots of points of view. You go into any black barbershop. You know, you go into, you know, black churches across America, not just in places like California, New York, D.C., right? But you but you go into these places and we hear the difference of mm-hmm. opinions. We hear where uh, what conservatism looks like and sounds like mm-hmm. from the mouths, from the lived experiences of black folks. And so if folks are being honest, you know, uh, there's there's a saying that we know very, very well, which is that, uh, all skin folk ain't kin folk, mm-hmm. right? And so this is a part of the test, mm-hmm. right? You know, are we going to see folks that may be kin folk to some of us, maybe not all of yeah. us, you know, but are we going to see them being honest on those debate stages, being honest in the debate on these issues uh, that impact our communities? Uh, I, I wouldn't hold my breath for all of them, but I think some of them may surprise us. Yep. I think that great quote comes from Zora Neale Hurston, all my skin folk ain't my kin. I think that's Zora Neale Hurston. Um, uh, before we uh, come forward, let me just uh, say uh, to the point that Nicole and I made a moment ago that we are not a monolith. I announced on this program yesterday, you heard him as a guest on this program. There's a new program premiering on Sundays just in advance of, just before Nicole's program, called the Reconstruction Project. It premieres this Sunday, hosted by a guy named John Wood Jr. And John Wood Jr.'s politics are not Nicole's politics. They are not my politics. Uh, but he's a fascinating guy to listen to and to talk to. You heard him on this program yesterday. We've been promoting all this week five new shows on our station this week. Uh, as we premiere, uh, as we jump into year three. But John Wood Jr.'s program is called The Reconstruction Project, premieres this Sunday at 9 a.m. in advance of A More Perfect Union Sundays on the 10s on KBLA Talk 1580. 
<clears throat> Excuse me, I'm Tavis Smiley, he's Nicole La Corte. Uh, you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580, got choked up there. Um, and we're talking uh, politics uh, in this hour. Um, speaking of these crazy Republicans, um, the hardliners uh, were in full effect last night uh, during that censure uh, of Adam Schiff, as we were discussing earlier. Uh, and now they're pressing on this Biden impeachment vote. So, again, um, we knew all this nonsense nonsense was going to happen. We knew it was coming. Um, but in real time, it just feels really, you know, bizarre to have Republicans now pushing for a Biden impeachment vote. How are you tracking this? And what do you what, what's your thought on that? Nicola? I think this is just another example of how the Republicans took control of the House and they're doing everything but what they said they were going to do for the people, mm-hmm. for the people. And and <clears throat> I think uh, for the Republicans that are in districts that Biden won, this is going to be really tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, are they really going to co-sign on this uh, faux impeachment vote, this hyper-partisan impeachment vote that is completely unwarranted? Are they going to uh, put their name on that? Or, you know, uh, are they going to uh, deliver uh, an embarrassment to Speaker McCarthy uh, and Republican leadership? Uh, you know, this is just quite a distraction uh, against, you know, so many of the issues that are really important uh, to to uh, the people. Uh, and so, you know, we'll we'll see where, where this lands. But uh, this Biden impeachment vote, I, you know, it's probably rushed. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because impeachment on what grounds, you know, you D- know, doesn't matter to them. Right. Any grounds, no grounds, all grounds. You know, it's it's it is it is a, a purely hyperpartisan move. Uh, it is going to be another poison pill, uh, you know, thrown into the well uh, in Washington. Um, and this is just, you know, the beginning of what is to come. This is going to be a very challenging election cycle for our country. Uh, you know, usually, you know, uh, Congress is able to, to get work done up until maybe, you know, the summer before uh, the actual election. You know, where, you know, folks are just in pure campaign mode. Well, we're seeing that uh, we're, we're seeing that that move up on the calendar. And mm-hmm. if you're saying that between now and November 2024, it's game on and folks are starting to campaign right now. Um, that means a lot of stuff is not going to get done. Thank goodness uh, that the president was able to negotiate uh, raising the debt ceiling, not just for one year, mm-hmm. but for two years. And so we won't have to have that debate until after the 2024 election. But can you imagine if we would have had to have that debate uh, sooner than that? Yeah, yeah, it would have been ugly. Um, speaking of the election, uh, a quick uh, Trump uh, conversation, and we'll move on to Justice Samuel Alito. I want to get to this before we lose time, run out of time. Um so I haven't seen you uh, or talked to you. Um, I've seen you. We didn't get a chance to talk about it. We were, we were partying <laughs> when I last saw you. Celebrating uh, freedom. Celebrating freedom, yeah, and our second anniversary. So we didn't get a chance to talk politics that day. Um, but I'm sure you'll be covering this this Sunday on your program. The date has now been set for that for the trial, August 14th. Uh, nobody believes it's actually going to start on the 14th, but, uh, you know, it's going to be delayed. I mean, let, me, let, me re- let me rephrase that. They will convene on the 14th. Uh, proceedings will begin on August the 14th, but everybody expects, you know, numerous delays. Uh, and so the question is whether or not uh, this thing can be delayed by Trump and his attorneys or the judge in the case, Eileen Cannon, appointed by Donald Trump, as you know. Can this thing be delayed until after the election? My sense is 
yes, I, I don't see this case coming to fruition before the election. I'd love to be wrong about that. I just don't see it knowing how our system of jurisprudence works and how these delays work. That said, uh, the judge did set a date of, of August 14 uh, for the proceedings to begin. Uh, again, I know you'll be covering that this Sunday. What's your read on that? You know, I, I, again, I, I agree with you that I don't think uh, this trial is going to happen. Uh, I don't think it's going to start. Uh, in August, uh, I think the Trump team is going to do everything they can to push, 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 push. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that there is some value for him as a reality TV star, not just a former president, but a former reality TV star. You know, I think you don't underestimate Trump's ability to, you know, use this as fodder, mm-hmm. uh, use this as a way to garner more earned media than he he would have had otherwise. And so I'm I'm a little concerned that there are so many trial dates that are being lined up, Mm -hmm. you know, not just starting here in August, you know, but, you know, there are, you know, dates set for Q1 of 2024, right? And so, um, you know, some people say, well, you know, how is he going to, you know, manage being, uh, you know, in trial while also competing during the uh, Republican primaries in 2024. Um, you know, I think that just means more attention for Trump, mm-hmm. you know, and I think media has not quite figured out, Tavis, how to cover the former president, you know, without giving too much. And mm-hmm. I think the CNN town hall was an example of that. You know, uh, it's one thing to say, OK, well, he, you know, he's a declared candidate, you know, for the Republican nomination. He's a former president. And so we should be covering covering him. And I agree with that. But where I disagree with is, you know, it doesn't mean you have to have a live studio audience. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it doesn't mean you need to pack the audience with, you know, supporters of the former president. You know, um, it doesn't mean that you need to have a single anchor questioning him. You could have a whole panel of folks who are questioning him. There are lots of other ways in which CNN could have gone about doing that. Um, and so all of these things together, Tavis, um, I think uh, uh, may help Donald Trump more than it hurts him. Speaking of helping him, I I can't, um, I wouldn't call it conventional wisdom, but there are many of us, uh, I include myself in this, who feel that we we were discussing Will uh, Will Hurd getting in the race earlier Mm -hmm. in this hour. Um, The more Republicans that run, the better for Trump. They will divide the anti-Trump vote inside the party. Mm -hmm. And Trump ends up being number one anyway. That's right. And, and I is, think, that, is that how you see it? I think it's exactly how I yeah. see it because the MAGA crowd ain't going nowhere. Exactly. They, they are Trump to the very end and then some. You know, but you're right. It's, it is the moderate Republicans of which, in which case, a Will Hurd would appeal to moderate mm-hmm. Republicans. You know, um, who the only person who's really going to appeal to the MAGA crowd is going to be Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. right? And so I think what they're betting is that what if Trump and Ron DeSantis sort of split the MAGA vote? Mm-hmm. Is there an opportunity for a more moderate candidate or a consensus candidate to kind of ride up the middle, right? Um, you know, I I think that is hopeful. Uh, that's wishful thinking, yeah. um, especially considering that that uh, DeSantis uh, doesn't seem to be overtaking Trump yep. at all. Oh, no. Although we see yeah. Trump's numbers beginning to soften slightly uh, yeah. in the polls, but yeah. it's too early to say that that's a trend. Yep. Um, two minutes to go here. I want to get to this uh, very quickly. Justice Alito. Uh, it ain't just Clarence Thomas anymore. Now we know Samuel Alito uh, was taking uh, private jet trips and uh, uh, luxury fishing trips as well. He jumped out in front of the ProPublica story with a piece uh, in the Wall Street Journal 
uh, saying that he didn't have to report this. Uh, here's a guy who uh, took trips from another billionaire who did, in fact, have cases, issues come before the Supreme Court that Alito was sitting on. So now it's not just uh, Clarence Thomas, it's Samuel Alito and everybody, uh, these justices rather, keep defending themselves. Uh, I think that John Roberts has to do something about this. All this does is continue to erode what little trust is left in the Supreme Court. Not only, the, not only is there a deficit of trust with the Supreme Court among we the people, uh, but there is a deficit of integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you read the Samuel Alito story, the Justice Alito story, it's amazing to me how comparable it is to Justice Thomas's story. Mm-hmm. I mean, swap out the names of the billionaires, and, right. and it's still a luxury trip, mm-hmm. uh, you know, worth uh, six figures, right? Um, and you know, for folks to act like, well, you know, I went on a trip, you know, but, you know, they didn't tell me anything improper. Um, if we can't trust you to do the ethical thing, mm-hmm. to do the moral thing, uh, if we can't trust you to look out for the interests of the institution and report on this uh, uh you know, properly, as opposed to getting ahead of ProPublica and issuing an an op-ed in Wall Street Journal to circumvent having to respond to their questions, right? That's the behavior of somebody who seems like they're trying to hide something. And it should give we the people no comfort that we have Supreme Court justices that appear to be experts at at hiding some of their private, quote-unquote, private dealings uh, that... uh, become public when they come before the court. With Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, it was Harlan Crow, as Nicole I said, and with Justice Samuel Alito, it's uh, a billionaire named Paul Singer, a uh, wealthy hedge fund hedge fund uh, manager, uh, Republican donor, and uh, a billionaire who frequently uh, has cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, friend of Samuel Alito. So once again, it ain't just Clarence Thomas, it's Samuel Alito as well. Something has to be done sooner than later about um, this um, this nonsense, this cheating, frankly, as it were, by U.S. Supreme Court justices. We'll leave it there for now. Nick Cordell, good to see you. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Uh, I'm on Perfect Union, Sundays on the Tens, only on KBLA Talk 1580. More when we come forward at the news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580.